Today on the Multiply Podcast, we're continuing our conversation about leading great events. Check it out. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Multiply Podcast. My name is Jared. My name is David. Oh man. That's it. All right, we'll see you guys next week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, middle of April, getting towards May. You and I, we're pre-recording this, but we're really in the stretch run of our weight loss competition. My guess is I'm down another 30 pounds by now. That's from the last episode. That's a pretty poor guess. Yeah, you're right, maybe 35. (laughs) It's by now must be beautiful out. Actually, it's, it's, it's not nice bad today. today. Sunny out. This, Syracuse in the spring, the sun is deceiving. Yeah. Because like the sun gets here before the warmth does. Right. And so you look in, you're like, oh, look at outside. And you run out in your shorts and your t-shirt. And you're like, oh my God. <laughs> it's true. But I will say as someone who likes to run a lot, it is nice running weather because um, once you get moving out there, like you're, t- you're totally warm enough, but the sun makes it feel like a summer summer day. So Can't relate. <laughs> well, if you ever join me for one of my runs after the million times I invite you, you would know. We all got to draw a line somewhere in our friendship. Well, we Jared. should let people know that you've recently been picking up um, a new form of exercise for you, avid avid Mr. Elliptical. That's what they call it. Oh, you. yeah. We have an elliptical in our basement, so I've been working that. And working you've been getting machine. your heart rate up to, you said, at least 85 Easy beats per 85. minute? Yeah. Easy 85. <laughs> that's, re- yeah. that's really good. So, no, I, I, I do need to uh, – actually, this is great biking weather too. So I got yep. to get, get my bike out of the basement. But the problem is is that a lot of times you and I like to exercise together, but you're even though you're running, I'm biking, it doesn't work. Like yeah, you're we, burning calories and I'm – You're just, just like, coasting. I'm just coasting. Next Weirdly enough, I don't run as fast as you bike, which is strange. <laughs> strange. <laughs> if you ran as fast as I bike, that would be strange. That would be amazing be incredible well welcome back to our second uh episode here on leading events yes and um as we mentioned the first one by the way if you didn't hear the first one go back check it out we're just kind of talking macro level stuff on events from purpose to communication to um, strategy and in this episode we're gonna push in a little more on the specifics of leading a high quality high impact event yeah which neither of us has done but we've seen other people do (laughs) Right. This is purely theory for us. Yeah. We'll call this observational insights instead of experiential insights. Yeah. Well, we, we both have ran a lot of events. So into the ground. Whether or not they've been good, it doesn't <laughs> matter. What we can do is share from our hurt and pain yeah. and tears and uh, let you know, hey, don't do this. Yep. So let's um, start with uh, five of Jared's biggest mistakes. Just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> All right. So you got an event. You've already worked through everything we talked about in the previous episode because if you haven't worked through all that stuff you shouldn't be working through this stuff but you have an event you know why it exists you understand how it fits into your overall strategy Um, you've been thinking in terms of promotion and even in terms of um, you know a communication timeline and stuff like that okay so that stuff is is kind of starting to happen and now I think in my experience and again we should say that Jared and I lead a little differently I probably um, not probably. I'm, I'm more hands-on, right, with events. Yep. Um, some people would con- call it controlling. Well, um, I mean, your staff would, but. <laughs> but it's also my gift, you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. I have a I have a gift for organization and, and, and planning events, whereas we don't know what your gifts are yet, but it's, <laughs> it's, not, it's not that. It's t- I still have time. But um, you have a team. So we both had teams around us. 
but we've kind of utilized our teams differently. Maybe we, we'll talk about that when we yeah. get to that. I was I would summarize. I'm, I'm maybe I'm maybe saying these are our different gifts is not accurate because you're probably gifted in some of these areas. But you're you are much better at detail stuff than I am when it comes to events. I think some of my gifts are team building and then also big picture figuring out how do we make this better what are some creative elements that we can add to enhance the experience um those are things that i think are more are more my strength when it comes to events versus the nitty-gritty detail stuff which is stuff that you're you're really good at so i i try to surround myself with people that are good at that yeah and and these are i think no matter what well let's actually no let's not start here but we'll get to teams because whether you're like me or like you Teams are kind of a non-negotiable, right? Yep. Um, so, all right. So I think for, I'll just kind of tell you how I think about events and uh, it might be different. But when once I've worked through everything from the previous episode and we've decided on this event, I start to think what are the big bucket items that this event content-wise has to have? So let's say it's there needs to be a speaker, whether it's a preacher or a motivational speaker or even an MC or a host. Anyone that at any time basically needs to have a microphone in their hand and needs to communicate something during the event, I start to think early on, who are those people, right? Yeah. Then uh, other pieces of that, uh, is there music involved? And so then I start thinking a band um, or is there going to be a special music artist or is there going to be a comedian or a ventriloquist like you like to bring into youth events, Jared. Love it. Very popular with the kids. Yep. Um, and then you have to think through, um, and I mean, last episode we already talked about location, right? So that stuff's already, that's the big stuff, but um, location, where, when. Uh, but then you start thinking about um, the big bucket items as far as like, what do we need to have ready for communication from online registration, um community community setups like hotel rooms book and that sort of stuff so i i kind of tend to start by thinking what are the big things that if any of these don't exist literally the event cannot happen yeah so i start by thinking who do i need on the team to make this happen okay that, that's literally my starting place um and and we probably should say Which is second for me i'll say that yeah we probably should say i would say this you you are better at running events than i am i i would i would admit that um it's I I recognize that detail is one of my weaknesses. So for me, my starting place is who do I need to have on the team, and um, and I want to add people on the team that are both creative and detail. So mm-hmm. who can bring ideas? Who can who can help me make or help us make this the best event possible? And I realize there are t- typically, sometimes you get a combo, you know, they're a superstar and they have both, but typically you've got idea creatives and then you've got execution detail people. Yep. You need both. Yeah, you do. How do you lead those types of people differently? Um, so I tend to relate more to the idea creatives, so it's a little easier for me. And for for those type of people, you want to give them a lot of space to dream to, to think, to cr- throw ideas out and yeah. say, you know, if we could do anything, what would it do? What, what, what could we do? What would it look like? And you got to create that space. And what, like, um, well, I want to say this. Um, I want to add this, and then I want to ask you a question. Um, you might be thinking, I don't plan large events. But even if you're doing a small dinner, even if you're just organizing a youth outing, 
creative people are going to make it better, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, it's not massive stuff. They might, like, if you're doing putt-putt with the kids, a creative person is going to come up with a whole new way of playing putt-putt yeah. or a whole new way of making prizes at every single hole yep. or something like that. So don't just think, I don't need creative people. I know what a putt-putt outing or a bowling outing yeah. looks like, right? Yeah, Don't th- and don't think, man, there's, there's really nothing else we can do with this. You right. get the right person there, yes. they'll come up with stuff where you're going, oh, my goodness, yeah. I can't believe it. And nine of the ten ideas may be stupid. Right. Uh, but one of them may stick. Right. Yep. So my question to you is when you are unleashing creatives, because I do think creatives need space. What parameters do you provide as the leader? So ultimately, I, my thing with creatives is I start I start wide and then I get narrow. So the wide is everything's on the table. What, what could we do? And then my job, because I know things like the finances, I know things like uh, the legalities, right? Mm-hmm. What could get us in trouble legally? Um, and and trust me, a lot of creatives they're not worried about that. Right. I know. Or even what could get you in trouble within your your work environment? Right. right? Yeah. What does my boss expect? Yep. What's going to fly with them? So you start big, everything's on the table, and then your job is to narrow as the ideas flow. You're yeah. narrowing it down, narrowing it down, setting little more parameters as as the conversation is happening. So it's like, oh man, I love that, but here's Here's what you need to know of why we couldn't do totally that. And as you're doing that, you're going to help them hone their ideas to get more um, more workable within your situation. Mm-hmm. But that takes you sitting with them, dreaming with them, and then being able to put those kind of roadblocks in and narrowing that field down. And and eventually letting them know, like, I, I got to have the ultimate say on this. Sure. And at some point, too, if you have people around you that are more creative and more gifted in the area of creativity or design or whatever, um, which most people will or hopefully can have those people around them. At some point too, you have to get beyond your preference and trust their expertise. Yeah. Right. So from t-shirt design to stage design, like that's not my strength, but I, that doesn't mean I don't have preferences. Sure. I got, I got lots of preferences. But I'm also not, you know, if I'm planning a youth event, I'm 42 years old. Like, I'm right. not the audience. And so if an 18-year-old or a 22-year-old says, let's do the shirts, these... In fact, this is what I would do with youth convention. This is one small example of this. Um, and this is a very small thing, but there are wristbands every year that kids would wear that would show that they could come into the event. And at one point, I just handed the color selection off to my niece, who was a teenager, and just said, what what colors... It got what, so much better that what year. What kids be excited to wear. And so she picked something like teal and gold that I, I never would have liked. Yeah, you used to do like a poop brown every yeah. year. Well, it was the I same thing. Re- it's a great reference point when you're preaching on sin. <laughs> Look at your poop heart. <laughs> um, you know, she did, She gave, this is, this is a while back now, so don't hate on my niece if teal and gold's not in anymore. But she gave teal and gold. And like, first off, once they came in, I was like, dang, these look cool. Yeah. And, but then the kids did like them. They're like, oh, man, this is yep. like a really cool color combination. So I think you you set some parameters, you let them go, and then ultimately you trust that they know more than you. Right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you, and this will be different for you and me, but how do you lead the team? How do you communicate to the team that is the detailed, logistic-driven team? Yeah. this I have the hardest time with this only because I, I have a hard, I can't relate to them. So I really have to try to think through what do they need from me to function well. Um, and it's different. So, so my personality is I'm, I want to give the big idea. I want to give the vision. I want to give the strategy. And then I want to work with you at you helping say how do we execute that. So I'm a big trust person 
where it's like, I, I, I want to hand this to you. And the way my mind works as a leader is like, say I've got 15 things that I've got to do. I want to be able to check off. I want to hand one of those things off and then allow it to go out of my mind. Mm-hmm. I think it's because I'm kind of like, I can only think of one thing at a time. I'm So it's like, if I know I can. You're a man. I'm a, yeah. I can hand this. Okay. David is doing set design. We've had a conversation. We've planned it. Okay. Boom. I'm, I'm trusting you, David. Um, it's over. Huge right? mistake. You got this. <laughs> Don't give me set design. But the problem with that is with some detail people, it works because they have no problem taking the lead. They have no problem being in that seat. Other people, they need a lot more checkup. It's true. And they need a lot more like they don't necessarily – they're not confident that you actually – are going to give them the lead and that they actually can lead. You know what I mean? Maybe they've been used to some kind of lip service leadership or whatever. And so you have to, you have to encourage them in your confidence in them to go like, no, no, this is your baby. Like I, I trust you. You know what I mean? And even just asking the question, what do you need from me to, to feel comfortable to succeed? You know, how can I set you up for success? And that also gives you the opportunity to say back to them, here's what I need from you. Yep. And so like you and I would be different. You want to hand it off and just get it out of your mind. I don't have that ability. Like I, I try some stuff I can, but a lot of stuff I hand off and I can't stop like kind of thinking about it. Yeah. Logistics and, and organizational type stuff. And so what I've learned to do instead is to try to communicate up front. Hey, um, I need you to set up the registration, right? Uh, for X, Y, and Z. And I'm going to check in with you in a week, see how, how it's going, see if I can help you. Yep. And then, um, you know, uh, and, or I might even say, I'm probably check in with you almost every every week just to kind of see what's going on. That way, like, they know up front, like, oh, this is part of the plan. This is his style. And then yep. it doesn't feel like I don't trust you. I don't trust you. I don't trust you. It's just like, yeah. this is what's going to help me succeed. Um, and, you know, after the event, we're going to, let's sit down seven days later and talk about how things went so they don't feel like it's punitive if it didn't go well. Right. Yeah. So th- there's just different ways you got to communicate. So a big part of event planning is, is developing teams around you, having team leaders. You know, if it's a really large event and you have multiple people on a creative team, you probably want one creative team leader that's primarily communicating with you so you're not talking to six or seven different creative people all the time kind of like a liaison go between um you might need a team for registration you might need a team for on-site um uh production um all sorts of different teams some you'll hire right some are volunteer um so teams is a big part anything else you want to say about teams when it comes to events um i i i think don't ever underestimate the opportunity to develop leaders um, you leverage these moments. Um, and, and what I would say is my style of leadership, I recognize something about it. It, it, it helps. It, it works really well when it comes to leadership development, but it runs into problems sometimes when it comes to purely execution. Hmm. Cause like when you hand stuff off to people and go, I totally trust you. What sometimes will happen is the execution will fall apart versus you constantly dogging something. But it does help to develop great leaders. And so in the long run, if you have the same team that's sticking around, it really is a benefit to you in creating great long-term leaders. But in the short term, I think you got to be really careful to do what you're saying, which is making sure you're checking in, making sure, um, like me, if you're my type of personality, making sure you're really making lists, you're reminding yourself, hey, I need to think about this. I need to check in with this. So yeah, yeah, know yourself. Absolutely. Good. 
let's talk a little bit about budget, which is not like, um, you know, I don't, I never, I didn't take any classes in college on budgeting, on finances. And um, even in my graduate work, I'm not sure that I did. So I always feel like this is not a strength of mine, but I know enough to not, you know, bankrupt the right. organization. Right. Well, debatable, but um, I'll tell you what my approach to budget is. Spend, 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 <laughs> and then pray, pray, pray. <laughs> uh, here's what I do is I, I just, I very early on um, clarify what the fixed expenses are of, of an event. Like that's where I start. Yeah. And maybe that's not right, but that's where I start. Like what am I, so if I'm renting an arena and if I'm paying a speaker and there's a production team, like what are the things that if two kids or 2,000 kids come, this doesn't change. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of where I start. And, and that gives me even a sense of like what I need to charge for registration. Mm-hmm. And then I obviously need to create buffer in the registration, either because there's going to be additional expenses or it's an event that's meant to profit for the purpose of other stuff. Right. Yeah. So I know that's very simplified way of thinking about it, but you know, the, the, the quickest way to, raise the money in event is if especially if it's a large event is just to bump registration a little bit but you're always kind of walking the line of like you know what's the breaking point yeah what's you, the point you hit a tipping point yeah right, where exactly too much and what are the things even that people are willing to pay for versus the things that people are not going to pay for and then one of the areas that you've been great at that i never was really that good at was is merch so talk to me a little bit about how you think about merch in the terms of events and and again, maybe you're not running a big event, but maybe you maybe your merch is a little wristband or something or just something that the kids walk away with from the event or your workers walk away holding in their hands. Yeah, I think with, with merchandise and, and um, budget stuff, for me, merchandise was a creative way of doing two things. The primary purpose was actually not to generate money because I didn't know how much we would. The primary purpose was um, to help accomplish our mission, which is we wanted to create more unity across the state in youth ministry. So we wanted to make, whether you were a youth group of three people or 300 in New York City or in upstate, middle of nowhere, we want to make you feel like you are part of something bigger than yourself. So the idea was, hey, let's create merch that celebrates that, that people from all over the state can wear and, and, and be a part of. But it, it, it worked well, and so we actually also generated revenue from it that we could then use as an additional revenue source. So I think the great thing about stuff like merch, and there's a there's a million other ideas of stuff like this that you can do, is it can actually check two boxes. It doesn't just have to be a moneymaker. It can also be a mission fulfiller. Mm. And, of course, generating revenue is also a mission fulfiller because it helps you do the other stuff that you need to do, right? So for us, that's the way that we thought about it. And we're now in the process of taking it to a whole nother level, which we've now brought in a bigger team of people that, understand youth culture and design and all this kind of stuff and so yeah any other thoughts on your end what you've learned about budgeting for an event anything like i i just kind of talked about knowing your fixed expenses and then working yeah. from there but what are some other things you've learned so one of the things i would say is um there's different types of sometimes you have an event where you have a pre-planned budget right so maybe it's like hey you're gonna get three hundred dollars to to pull this event off those are a little different so you got to de- decide um, do I have a pre-planned budget or to your point, do I need to, does this have to pay for itself or does that have to generate revenue? You got to decide between the three of those. Um, and then I, I like what you said, which is starting at the fixed expenses. Another way of doing it is you can assess what, um, 
depending on the event, so let's say it's a pizza party Mm -hmm. and I don't need to make money on this, but I need to break even. Um, what could I charge that's people would actually pay and how many people do I think will show up? So maybe it's $10 and we'll get, you know, 30 people. So it's like, okay, we're going to have $300. So with $300, what can I do? Yeah. That's another kind of reverse, reverse way of doing it. And it just depends on the event and your audience, you know? And you'll start to learn over time, like you use the example of a pizza party, but anything with food, you'll start to get a sense of how much you need to order. Yep. You know, I, I tend to over order because my fear is running out of stuff, but then you got to pay attention, right? And so depending on who your audience is, like if it's a uh, if it's a youth event, you know, I've discovered that you can actually probably Google this stuff online, but like your average teenager will eat like 1.8 slices of pizza, right? Yeah. And so you go from there because the boys are going to eat four slices of pizza, but the junior high girls are going to eat a half a slice of pizza that Jared's going to finish theirs. Mm. Um, and so um, I think, you know, just being kind of aware of, of even like that, that sort of a detail on a, when it comes to an event like that. But, you know, budgeting is you learn a lot, obviously, from year to year, You've, but you need clarity as to like, what do we need this event to do? I think that's probably a great starting point, even before yeah. you think of your fixed expenses. Is this a break-even event? Does this event need to profit? Or is this an event that we can actually take a wash on a little bit because we have, right. uh, you know, so like one example would be we would try to make money on some of these larger youth events because when you have 3,000 kids and you raise the registration by three bucks, that's a $9,000 boost to your budget, right? Mm. Uh, but when we would do leadership events, which was um, very strategic to our mission, we would try to tighten that registration fee as low as we could, even at the risk of maybe losing a well, little and, bit of money. And you you and we of Continuous Tradition would make those events, we'd spend a lot of money to make those great events, yeah. great food. Like So you're not making a ton of money on that because it's a full investment into yeah. leaders. And, and that's just knowing like, Break even with leadership development is great, and, and making a little money on a on a teen fine arts program is is you know that's that's an opportunity. So in one in some cases, some budgets from some events help you inform the budgets of your other events. Right. The only other thing I would say, and this connects with teams, the building teams, and the financial piece is one of the philosophies that I adopted as a youth pastor because my second church it was a it was a large youth ministry and we had a pretty pretty good sized budget is. I started to have the philosophy of I want to spend my money investing in people over stuff. Hmm. And and so what that means is um, I'm, I would rather hire people in some capacity, and typically I would leverage it as a leadership development opportunity where I'm saying, okay, if I've got a budget in the year of this amount of money, instead of spending, you know, $1,000 to make this event an A plus versus an A, I'm going to spend that $1,000 to hire on this person who maybe I've been developing as a leader and will make all of my events better. And that financial investment is going to pay off greater dividends, both in their life, but also in, in the overall success of all of my events. And so that's one thing that I would encourage you to think through is if you've got a yearly budget for events, um, or, or maybe it's just a one-time thing, sometimes your money being invested in people over stuff will give you a a much better return on that investment. Yeah. One final thing on budgets is sometimes there's sponsorship opportunities, right? People who would like to set up a booth at your event, who would like to have their, uh, their local pizza shop in your program. And I think you got to be open to that and strategic about that because you can cross a line where it's like, 
you're just taking money, but the people actually don't stand for the same things you stand for, or yep. it creates confusion about your event. Um, and then one little thing is that, like, if you're running a local event, maybe you're bringing people into the community to train leaders or something. I- I've never had a restaurant say no for like a $10, $15, $20 gift card. We just call them up or reach out to them and say, hey, we're hosting a special event in our area. We'd love to highlight your restaurant and give something away to one of our uh, registrants as a door prize or whatever. Yep. There's, you know, Walmart gives gift cards, Target's. There's so many places that will invest into your event. So there's sometimes funding from the outside that can come. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Two things to think about when you're trying to make your event more profitable. There's two ways to do it. One, you can obviously increase your revenue, charging more or doing creative things like merch or like you said, um, getting sponsorships and stuff like that. But the other way is obviously you can decrease your expenses. So think through too, a lot of times is what am I spending money on now that I could not spend money on? So maybe instead of buying certain things, you get it donated. Um, maybe in, maybe if you like if you're doing larger events or stuff like that and you've got contracts, can I renegotiate these contracts to get a better deal? Can I build in kickbacks? Can I um, you know if I'm doing an event, can I invite a food truck and for every 10 bucks they make, they give us a dollar back? Like there's a lot of creative ways to reduce, um, reduce the money that you're spending. So you're not increasing revenue, but you're going to increase your profit. Yeah, that's good. All right. A couple final thoughts on uh, the nitty grittiness of event planning. We talked a lot in the last episode about communication, but I think having a communication timeline, a strategy, a social media strategy, those are all really important things. I don't know if we have to say too much about that. We talked about in the last episode, but um, sometimes early on, it's less information, more of a teaser sort of promotional, then you start to bring out more information, and then you start to even diversify the way in which things are communicated. You get videos from your speakers, your bands to send in very personalized video messages that you can post, Um, lots of different things you can do. Any thoughts on social media strategy for event planning? Yeah, um, this is an area that I'm terrible at. I don't know much about social media. So again, one of the things that I've done, I've surrounded myself with people that really know that world well. And I didn't realize how, how little I knew about social media strategies until you're around someone. You're like, wow, there's actually strategies of how to do this and how to expand this. So I would say if you're good at it, you probably know you're good at it. And you're much better. Like you you're, you you live most of your life on social media. I've posted 12 times since we started recording. Right, right. I mean, your family doesn't know you without a phone in front of your face. Well, but they get to follow me online <laughs> on all my David platforms. only talks to his kids through Twitter. It's kind of interesting. No, but... That's a strength of yours. That is not a strength of mine. If I never went on social media again, I'd be fine. But I realize how important it is. It's the it's where people live. Sure. So for me, I'm trying to get better at it. But I also realize I need to bring someone on the team here who who can help who can help me with this, who knows this yeah. world well. In different platforms, you have to have different approaches, right? Yeah. And I think this is a team building thing too. Maybe nowadays with event planning, one of the teams is strictly just a social media team. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's probably a no-brainer, actually. Yep. Um, the A couple final things. I think, you know, both of you or both of us want, once the event starts, I think both of us have the same goal, which is that we can be free on site to host any guests, so to speak, like band speakers, you know, but also just the flexibility on site to not be tied down to task driven leadership. And I think that's a big deal. If you're running an event and you're the main leader, especially a large event, but even a youth event, a youth retreat, 
you want to have people overseeing all the tasks and you want to be free to lead and to be present and to just, you know, care. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of yeah. event planning. Two strategies to do that real quick would be number one, um, number one, find a number two. So find who your, your number two person is going to be. Yeah. And the majority of communication is going to run through that person. So, so the only one that you really become responsible through communicating with is that person. But you got to really empower that person to lead so that they can handle problems that you don't have to. And the on-site person almost always has to be someone who's been doing it ahead of time. Like you can't have a new person jump right. in on-site and become the number they two. Gotta they got to know details. Don't, they don't know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other, the other little tip I would have is to say um, set up really good communication lines for that day. So that if there's a problem, it can be addressed easily and quickly. Mm -hmm. um, so whether that's a text thread, um, whatever whatever it is, mm -hmm. make sure there's an easy way for the people that are running and leading the various aspects can get a hold of you easily and let you know what's happening. Yeah, I think, um, and then having clear clear understanding of what sort of situations need to get to you and which ones can be resolved at a lower yep. level, right? Yep. And then in closing. Um, I think with any event or anything you do, you have to debrief, right? And you have to debrief with your team. And the debrief is, you know, you can use a SWOT assessment, strength, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. You can do it a lot of different ways, but you need to debrief as soon as possible while it's fresh in people's minds. Um, you need to debrief in a safe environment so it doesn't become like, you know, an attack on trying to figure out who failed where and yeah. who messed up on what. And you have to do something with the outcome of your debrief. A lot of times I was guilty of debriefing and then not looking at my debrief notes until we already had planned the next year's event and being like, oh, man. <laughs> oh, we said not We to already do said that. we wouldn't do this again. So <laughs> actually having a, a – from the moment that you debrief an event, if it's an annual event, when you start creating that timeline, of course, everybody needs in a planning timeline where they kind of start with the end date and revert, go in reverse. What do we yep. have to have done by when, Right. Uh, we probably should have said that earlier, but that timeline is crucial to have and shared with everybody on the team needs to have access to that timeline, whether it's through Google Docs or whatever, yep. or one of the many apps that are exist for that. Um, but once you have it, somewhere in your planning timeline should be review the debrief notes yeah. from the previous year. It should be one of the first things you do. Yeah. And make sure when you're reviewing or you're debriefing, you get the right voices there. Yeah. Because it's easy to go, man, that was a phenomenal event, but... Um, are you asking the right people and do you have, do you have the culture and the right people who are going to be honest with you? Cause some people just, they won't, they're just not going to tell you the honest truth and you got to know who on your team, no matter like they don't care, they're going to give me the honest, honest truth. And so you got to make sure and have those, it may hurt your pride a little bit, but, uh, you got to get over yourself. Yeah. And then probably maybe some voices from outside, maybe you said this, but some some voices from outside the planning team. Yeah. If it's just the planning team, you might all love it, but the people who you actually did it for may have some right. feedback for you. And then a big part of event planning is being grateful to your team. Right? Yes. Before, during, after, find really meaningful, quality ways to say thank you. And everybody's different, right? So for some people, a $50 gift card is like, that's really what they're in it for. You know, that's, that, that will do it for them. They'll be like, yeah. oh, wow, he really appreciates it. But for some people, it's going to be right in the middle of the event, just going up to them, looking them in the eye and saying, man, you're crushing it. Yep. And, and I'm so grateful for you. And letting them know, I did this yesterday with Easter Sunday. I messaged a couple people after service and said, what you did, I so appreciate because it allowed me to do this. Yeah, you didn't do that for me, but... well. You, you just you just sent me a kiss face emote. 
That's what I. That's what I do to almost everybody. That's my <laughs> generic thank you. <laughs> be a grateful leader. If you're running events, yeah. it's easy to kind of be, get driven and focused and just get um, kind of be a jerk. But but uh, every step of the way, find opportunities to say thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. Thank you for organizing. Thank you for thanking me. Thank you for organizing this recording this morning. Yes, absolutely. You doing that allowed me to sleep in. Mm. Well, listen, before you go, we got to do our final David Zietz here. Final? Um, well, final we for this podcast. Oh, okay. uh, so not only better leaders, we also want better eaters. And here's, if you've been following the podcast, you know Dave and I are on a diet right now. We're trying to lose some weight. So David, I want to know what is the meal that you're most looking forward to having again? Oh, baby. How much time we got? <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, I miss pizza and I miss bread, but my, my 10-year-old is um, glu- uh, lactose intolerant. So when we get pizza, I eat the toppings and the cheese and she eats the actual dough. So I kind of get wow. to scratch that itch. Match you know? made in heaven. I miss okay. a burger, but I can still go to Five Guys and get it in a lettuce bowl. Um, but I guess what I probably look forward to the most is like really great bowl of on noodles, um, mm. either Italian pasta or most likely some sort of a, a Vietnamese pot, a noodle dish um, yeah. or Thai, like pad Thai or spicy beef noodle soup. Dumplings, man. Dumplings. I love mm. dumplings. I miss those a lot. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Let's go get some dumplings for lunch. <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. This is the Multiply Podcast. We'll see you guys next time.